You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Look in your Bibles. Let's get back over there to 1 Corinthians 3, if you would. Try to finish out this chapter tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So while you're getting there, and if those of you that are already there, I'm going to ask you a question tonight. Um, what are three things, you don't have to say it out loud, but what are three things that the Bible specifically tells us that the Spirit of God will do when he comes to this earth? He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. I don't know if I got those all in a row or not, in the right order or not, but that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And he does that in the world, and he certainly does do that. That's what happened at the revival service. Men were convicted of their sin and the righteousness of Christ, and judgment that was going to come, and the men got their hearts right, people got saved. That Holy Spirit of God um, works in you and in me as well in some of the same ways, obviously not to convict us uh, toward salvation, but now because of our salvation, the Spirit of God dwells in us and works in the hearts of men to do unbelievable things when we are allowing God's Spirit to control our lives. And God wants to do that in in tremendous ways. I, I really do believe that, but I think there's a lot of times we hold him back. That's on an individual level. But when I look at the body of Christ and how the Lord deals with the church, we are a body of Christ. And somebody walks in and says, where's the head of your church? What would you tell them? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. All right, so we are the body. Christ is the head of the church. And if a church is stifling that spirit of God from working in us and throughout our congregation, then we're going to miss out on so many things that the Spirit of God is trying to show us. First of all, maybe sinful things in our life that need to be shown, uh, righteous ways that Christians ought to be living. And then with that thought and, and the songs that we sang about tonight, the thought of all of us getting into heaven and making it to be with the Lord ought to be things that should drive us in a very positive way. Look in 1 Corinthians 3. You'll remember the, uh, the children um, in Corinth. We're not walking with God as they should. They had divided themselves up into groups. Um, they had said, I'm for Paul or for Apollos and Cephas and Christ and so forth. They were not working together. They had segmented themselves off and were divided. And a divided church is a weakened church. I will even say a divided church is a dying church. And until a divided church can become a united church, They're never really going to accomplish the things that God would want to accomplish. Paul knows that very well. So he's driving that thought home into the hearts of the Christian. So he gets down further into this chapter. We're going to make our way down into verse 16 and um, go on down to the end of the chapter. 22, 23 verses, all right. So in verse 16, the Bible tells us, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple 
ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Now that may sound a little confusing, but God is really just trying to bring about a humble spirit in that man and to lay down his own, you know, proud wisdom so that he can take on Christ. All right. Um, Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Remember, the spirit of God discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart as well, the word of God through his spirit. Verse 21, therefore, let no man, here we go, let no man glory in men for all things are yours. Well, what does that mean? Don't glory in a man because all things are ours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. And he really, man, he just kind of Right there at the very end, we, we talk about driving that last nail in the coffin or, or if he drives that point home in a tremendous way and tries to get them to finally understand you as a church are not going to survive. We could go to a youth department, will not survive. Anybody that tries to do a work for God will not get a work for God done in any kind of great fashion as long as there's division. We all know and understand that... Um, when we're looking at marriage, that a house divided against itself cannot stand. A husband and a wife that's not walking together, that marriage is on shaky ground. God is always, always driving uh, individuals who are trying to work together in the same body uh, to come together in a spirit of unity. So let's bear that in mind and we'll get into uh, the passage here tonight. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word again. I'm just asking you, Lord, would you bless as I would share in the thoughts that I believe you've given to me here tonight and what, especially what you really are saying to uh, the body of uh, Corinth and then also the body of Eastside Baptist Church. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine tonight, if you would, 20 different men who are divided up in, uh, into four different groups of five. And those men are lined up across the ocean in their different groups, four different groups. Each man's got a fishing pole. Each man is lined up across the ocean there and trying to fish. And as they fish, uh, along with their groups, each man catches a fish or two. They started in the morning and by noon, each guy had a fish or two. And everybody was trying to outdo the other, the other groups. But at noon, imagine a man comes along, he's dragging something along behind him, and he gets all the guys together and he says, guys, can you help me uh, to do this one project? And if you help me, you're going to be able to catch more fish than you can imagine, than you guys have caught the one and two fishes yourself. Can you just work with me on this? And so with real strong persuasion, he finally convinces all these 20 men to come together from their four little groups. Now you've got 20, 21 men with the other guy. They get on this man's boat. They pull this net, what he was dragging behind him, this huge net. They drag it on board. Each man begins to work with the man, draping the net in this large and broad circle in the ocean. And as that huge net has been laid out, 
the, the, the boat comes back around to one point. Each group has a hold of one end of the net. They just begin to draw it in together. And as they draw the net in, they finally pull in a load of fish that equals more than all the men had caught all that morning long. And then by evening, they had more fish than they ever knew what to do with. Because what they could not do separately, they did very adequately working together. And what they couldn't see was that while they were separated, the great treasure, this great load of fish that they could have been getting all along, uh, really was being left behind because they had their own little pursuits. One group was trying to do better than another group. And this group felt like their group was much better than this group. But when they all came together and decided, let's work together with one big net, we can get so much more done in unbelievable ways. It's kind of like the picture I was trying to envision about the church here at Corinth. They were doing very much the same thing, working in their own little separate groups, trying to get a whole lot of things accomplished at the house of God. And every now and then, something would be done where somebody would run up and say, look what we got done. But it was very, very little that was being done. But when Paul gets through to their hearts that if you'll lay aside this division and decide we're going to come together and work together and draw in this gospel net together, you get so much more done when everybody determines, I'm not trying to be better than this group. I'm not trying to be better than that group. I just want to work together to get the cause of Christ done. So much more gets done and accomplished. So they'd been missing out on some very uh, key ingredients when it comes to working together as a, a body of believers. Let me show you a couple of things that Paul brings out here in these several verses. First of all, guys, they had been missing out on the reverence and the respect for the temple of God. When they got into this kind of an attitude that they had, this, this division and strife, what they did not realize, and guys, what we miss out on is when it's, it's my group, and, and we don't care much about this group or when I personally don't care about this person or whatever you might want to call that in a church, what you miss out on is what you're doing to the temple of God that you are. Look in verses 16 and 17. Again, he says, know ye not. Remember now, he's trying to address this problem of division. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man Here's the warning. Defile the temple of God. Him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, you can't understand that unless you go back into the Old Testament for just a little bit and stop and realize that uh, the Old Testament temple, if you want to go back to the tabernacle or you want to go back to Solomon's temple, if you remember when those priests would begin to walk into the outer courts uh, they would stop there at an altar. They would make their way on up to a place called the holy place. That's not the holy of holies. But just before you went into the holy place was a laver. Do you remember that? They would stop and would wash themselves. They were not to carry any of the uh, dirt, if I can put it this way, from the outer world into this holy place because it was holy, which means separated, which means different from the rest of the world. And so they would step on into the holy place. Right-hand side is the table of showbread that pictures Christ, the bread of life. Left-hand side, as you walk in, is that golden candlestick representing Jesus Christ being the only light of the world. That, by the way, that candlestick was the only light 
and that whole tabernacle in that holy place there. Just like Christ is the only light of the world. You make your way straight ahead. And there you have, of course, that altar of incense representing the prayers of the saints. Uh, studying that out, I, I, I remember it was oh, about a yard or so high, three and a half feet high or something like that. And, and it's just like God struck my heart one day to help me to understand, you know, that's just about the height of a kneeling man praying before God as our prayers would go up before God. That high priest once a year would then, as he would come up to that last curtain, we talked about it Sunday morning, when that curtain was opened up, you're stepping now into the holy of holies. That is the place where the Holy Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory of God would come down. And guys, the very presence of God would be there. I think you kind of touched on that on the, on the last message you preached here very adequately. Very good message. You understand that the Spirit of God would come down and God would meet with man. And I'm so thankful. And, and again, Brother Ruckman, I'm kind of repeating some of the things you said. But what was the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, guys? It was the mercy seat. And I'm so glad God sits on mercy and not the law of God that condemns us. Anybody else say an amen to that? That's why when the men of Beth Shemesh, when they had the Ark of God and had stolen that, and they lifted the lid and looked inside, what was taken off of the law of God? God's mercy was lifted. And men were exposed then to the condemnation of God. And I believe something like 60 or 70 men were slain on that day because they lifted the lid off. Guys, this was a very holy place. You didn't just go casually strolling into this tabernacle. It was the place where God met with man. God came down and face to face in many ways. God's spirit was dwelling in many ways with man at that place. Everybody knew and understood uh, that you, you, you didn't treat it casually, that God did not treat it casually. And at nighttime when the Shekinah glory of God and all of its brightness would come down upon that tabernacle, the men of Israel would peer out those tent doors and would look and the little kids would say, Mom and Daddy, what is that? Bright light. And they would say, Hush, son. That's the presence of God coming down upon the tabernacle, coming to meet with man. Everybody knew that was a sacred and a holy place. They would tremble at the thought of being able to come into the very presence of God. But guys, now that Calvary has come, God has provided a spotless lamb. Jesus Christ died on Calvary now. No longer does the high priest have to go in yearly to offer blood on the altar for himself first and then for the sins of Israel. And then every year re-sanctify himself and everybody on the outside hoping that high priest comes back out and he wasn't somehow defiled with something in the world, either through ignorance or presumption. It was a, it was a big time for Israel. And they knew every year this was a big thing for them. But thank God, Jesus Christ, amen, has gone to that altar of sacrifice for us, gave himself as a perfect sacrifice, and no longer do we have need of. Well, that's why the veil of the temple was rent in twain. We no longer need those things that just symbolized the death of Christ on Calvary. Jesus has died once and for all. And now, the Shekinah glory of God does not have to look for a, a tent um, that travels across the wilderness that has to be set up each and every time they travel and go from one place to the next. Uh, now the Spirit of God is looking for men who call upon the name of the Lord and that Spirit of God comes to take up residence inside of man now. 
Do we understand that tonight? The Spirit of God now dwells in man. We are that temple of God. And now we don't wait for the Shekinah glory of God to come down and hover over that uh, mercy seat of God. The Spirit of God now lives inside of us. How many of you believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen. And He is. And just as holy as that place was when the, when the Spirit of God would come down upon the tabernacle, guys, listen. Same with this temple of God now, when God comes to dwell inside of us. This is holy territory. And the Apostle Paul is looking at this division and strife that is in the house of God, in the body of Christ, and in the believers that are there and says, guys, don't you know that you're, you're the temple of God? And if you defile the temple of God, God will destroy that temple. Why? Because it's holy ground that they walk on. You're in 1 Corinthians. Go over to the right a couple of pages to chapter 6. It's one page for me. Look there in verse 19. Chapter 6 and verse 19. You want to read that out loud together with me? Verse 19 out loud together where the Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Look back up here. So whose body is this? It is not yours. Are you listening? It's not yours to decide what I want to do with my body. Well, I'll do what I want with my body. And the cry of the world is, it's my body, I'll do what I want with the blob that's growing inside of me. Well, ma'am, it's not your body. Especially if she knows the Lord. God created that woman. And it's, it's the body of God. I realize that the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in a lost person, but it's not her choice to make. God was clear that if we defile this temple, he'll destroy that. Uh, you know, typically we think of defiling the temple as ingesting things and doing things um, to, to the body that would defile it. And, and without doubt, it certainly does have uh, to do with that. Paul is even de uh, delving uh, in a deeper way and he's coming right into the church of God and saying, guys, sure, you can go out in the world and defile this body in many ways. But he said, I'm not talking about right now about what takes place on the outside. He said, the problem with the church today, defilement with the body is inside the church and people's hearts are not right. I'm just telling you when there's factions in church, the spirit of God said you're defiling the body. When an individual is not right with an individual in the body of Christ, you're defiling the body of Christ. According to the word of God, it's, it's kind of like ringing their bell a little bit. Have you guys forgotten that this body doesn't belong to you? And you don't get to decide what I think is the right thing to do and the wrong things to do. The Word of God knows what's best for us and what helps us to grow in Christ in the greatest way. And when I yield to that, God does tremendous things in the life of that person. One of the hardest things for Christians to do is to let go of such strong preconceived ideas about what we think is right and wrong to do. But the sooner you lay down what you think is right or wrong and take up what God says is right and wrong, the more blessed that, that life will be in a tremendous way. Disunity. I, I, my brother Elmer had MS. 
And he, he would try to describe it to me how the, the nerves that run through the body the, is coated in myelin, if I understand it correctly, and the myelin sheathing begins to break off or whatever. And sometimes the message that the brain is trying to send to the hand does not get all the way through there, and it'll get halfway down and it'll short out. And rather than being able to reach something, your hand will jerk or something to that effect. And uh, that's, that's what defilement will do to the body of Christ. The, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, will try to tell, are you listening? Will try to tell the body what to do, but sometimes we short circuit the message that God's trying to get to the body of believers, and, um, and so we begin to do what we want to do. Well, I, I just think it ought to be okay uh, for me to be able to do this, and it's, it's fine if I think this way. Well, friend, it's fine if the Word of God says it's fine, but if it goes contrary to the Word of God, somebody needs to line up with God's Word, get something right with God. The very point Paul is nailing is the division in the body of Christ. Secondly, some other things they were missing out on is the foolishness, and I've kind of been going over into this already, the foolishness of human reasoning. Look back down there into verse 18 again, chapter 3 and verse 18. Look what he says about um, human reasoning. Uh, let no man deceive himself. So apparently that can happen. Apparently Christians can think that they're right when they're not. Amen. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, and we'll just take this first phrase, therefore let no man glory in men. Do you see that? Let no, let no man glory in men. Hey, hey, he said, there's a lot of that that goes on in churches. There's a lot of churches that do glory in men. If I can just tell you, I want to thank you for the honor and respect that I've seen you give to the position and even the man that's in the pastorate here. Uh, all the years I've been able to be your pastor, I've appreciated all the kind gestures. Um, the rhubarb pie Sunday night was really good. I, I love it when they honor the ministry that way. That was really good. Um, but I just, I just want to tell you guys, it would be really important to me that you don't look at me any other way than just a man that has a position in the body of believers. And as I've said, I think I said it last Wednesday night, possibly, that um, I, I go to bed and pull covers up around my neck like most of you do. Um, and red blood, just like anybody else, have the same battles as anybody else. And it would be wrong for somebody to think more highly of me than what God intends. Again, thank you for the respect of the position. That means so much to me. And I've always preached that strongly. I believe that strongly. Hold the position highly. Um, men will many times fail you. And if you had all your hopes and aspirations hung on a man, if a man falls, there goes your hopes and aspirations and your desires. But if you look at the position and understand it's still holy, it's still precious in God's eyes, you can still go on and continue to serve because you've not been let down. You weren't hanging on a man. Paul wanted that to be understood. 
So the danger of allowing the body to be defiled is your guys, our thinking gets clouded. Um, uh, people, you ever seen uh, any little video clips of people that had been sedated for dental work <laughs> and they're coming home from the dentist and they're sitting there trying to talk to their brother or sister and the whole time they're sitting there videoing this whole thing. That's some of the funniest videos I see in my life. And they'll just, just sobbing and crying and say, he cut my tongue out. And he'll just go on and on and talking about uh, the funniest things. And, oh, man, I laugh so hard at that for some reason. And then the next day when they come around, then uh, they realize what they've done and can't believe that they were saying those things. It's amazing when people get sedated with foolish thinking. When somebody thinks more highly of themselves... When somehow we can get to the position in our, I'm just going to talk very directly to our church, uh, within our church membership, that my way is right no matter what, and it doesn't matter if I line up with what uh, the Word of God says or not. And friend, you are highly sedated with your foolishness. And God says, you need to become a fool. You need to lay aside all your thoughts. Lay them all down and just ask God, help me to go blank in my brain and take up everything that's here and believe what God is trying to teach me. The real wisdom that God wanted me to have in the first place. God tells us that our thoughts are foolish. I'm going to tell you, when you're sedated um, and you start looking at other people in the congregation, everybody listening to me, you start to have thoughts you ought not to have toward one another. A body of believers will start to think in ungodly ways. Because you're not thinking straight. You don't think your tongue's cut out. You'll just want to cut their tongue out. That's, uh, that's what happens. You're upset with so-and-so. You, you think this about them. You find yourself thinking thoughts about fellow Christians that Christians have no business thinking that way. How can we get like that, guys? How do you find it where uh, vengeance is trying to be had and we find and hear about maybe and, and I'm making things up now, people that are running around the, the church and talking about this group or that group or so-and-so and this person. How does that happen? Well, you're sedated with your own foolishness and, and you're not willing to line up with the Word of God. And it's, it's the way I see it. Well, friend, if the way you see it is not the way God says it, then you're wrong. You understand that? You've got to be willing to admit that. Paul's trying to get him to turn the corner here. All these thoughts about, you know, I, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and, and our group's right and your group's not right. And uh, it, it goes beyond just the church not being able to grow. You're not right with God. God's not a respecter of men. Can we say amen to that? Praise God for that. And when we elevate one man above another and then we lower others, we're drowning in the world's wisdom and that will kill a church. God's command for this church was to become a fool or to realize that my wisdom is foolishness all along anyway when it goes against the clear teaching of the Word of God. And then lastly, this was such a big one to me and it blesses my heart every time I read thoughts like this in the Word of God. He's trying to get them, thirdly, to the true hidden treasures that they've been missing out all along on. So 21 to 23 again, look at it again. Verse 21, therefore let no man glory in men for, listen to this, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All those things, he says, they're all yours anyway, already. And ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. 
So, can you look back up here? So if all those things are already yours, and this little group's over here saying, we're of Cephas. We've got Peter on our side, buddy. You know the apostle Peter, that great saint of God. He can preach like nobody else. Well, Apollos has the, you know, that eloquent tongue. He can talk like just anybody. We've got him. You know what Jesus is trying to say? What happened to those who understand that I have Christ? And when I have Christ, I have everything else. I've got everything that I could ever hope, hope for or need in this Christian life. Um, I want you to look at it with me. Go from here to Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2. This is so good, guys. I hope we can get this. Chapter 2. Everybody there? All right. In verse 10, I want you to read it out loud with me. Uh, Colossians 2 and verse 10. Listen to what he's saying here. Here we go. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Do you hear that first phrase there? And ye are complete in him. Lacking in nothing. Somebody says, I have Joseph Smith. I say, I have Christ. I have Jesus. I've got everything. When I have Christ, I've got all that anybody could ever hope to want and more than you could ever understand. And when you get into heaven, you'll really understand all that that really does mean then. But when you have lowered your understanding to the level that if I can just... If I can just have a, a part of this group, if I can get this group to really like me and I could really like this group, then man, I really will feel like something. And God says, lay that aside. You've already got them in Christ already. You're just shoving so many other things out of your life when you're narrowing your vision down to one little tiny thing. When I understand I'm complete in Christ, I've got everything I need. Somebody says, well, you know, when we can lay aside all the jokes about praying for patience. I don't want to pray for patience. I know what God does when I pray for patience, I've heard people say. But in reality, we do want patience, don't we? Sure we do. So do you think God has to reach down at a bucket in heaven called patience on the outside of it and scoop three scoops of patience inside of us? Or, or do you think that the patient one who lives inside of us is all I need. And if I would just yield to the patient one inside of me, I have all the patience I'd ever need and want. Do you agree with that? And all the, the, you know, the confidence about things that I would really want and, and strength about this and, and the, desi- the right kind of desires. Do you think really God just measures out a little bit and scoops it out, dumps it in your heart? Or is it me needing just a die to my way of understanding and to realize I'm already complete in the Lord and I've got everything that I need. Stop factioning your life off into little portions about little things in this life. It's all yours anyway when you got saved. You got everything that you have ever needed. Greatest problem Christians face when they promote man or man's wisdom in this life is they only have the power of the flesh then to operate in. Ask Samson how that turned out for him when he operated in the power of his flesh. And how did it turn around for him when he got his heart right with God? 
I mean, ask King David. How did that work out when you operated in your flesh and you narrowed down your vision to this one little woman? How did that work out? It was horrible until he got his heart right with God and realized he was all I ever needed in the first place. Paul's advice to these Corinthians is to rest content in the glory and the sufficiency of Jesus and learn what it really means to die daily. So listen, Eastside, I'll wrap the message up with this. We have all that we ever need in Jesus Christ. I will tell you this. I hate it when somebody moves away from the church and, or someone dies. I, I mean, I, I was just talking to a fellow pastor, a good friend of mine, way down south. And, I, and we were talking about this family and that family that I, uh, he and I are both aware of. And I said, man, I hate it. I, I hate when somebody moves away. I said, it breaks my heart every time. But I understand the will of God. I, I told him that. But I told him this. I said, when I can get alone with the Lord in that empty spot from so-and-so, maybe stepping on into heaven, and I've got that hollow place down here. I just told him when I can get with the Lord and just ask Jesus just to fill that spot. He does it every time. And God blesses me. I am complete in him. I'm not complete in a man. Men are used to be a blessing and a help to us. Amen? Yeah. But you don't complete my life. Jesus does. And the sooner a congregation can come to a full understanding of that and let Christ be the head of this church and this body, of of your family, of your life, the sooner God can get on with a tremendous plan of his saving grace in the lives of a lost and dying world. If you can keep that in mind. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.